T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. All right, I'm going to ask my guest, uh, Jay Peter Zane, to, to hang on just briefly here because we're going to get into some issues with journalism and uh, the media. But I just noticed this because I popped up looked up at my screen at the top of the hour. I opened the show talking about this terrible situation with a 16-year-old girl from Tennessee, Janae Edmondson, who was hit by this car. I mean, it wasn't really, there's more to it, okay? This was a career criminal, a young career criminal who should not have been out on the streets, and this poor girl had her legs removed, had to be amputated because of this accident. So she says, the mayor says, this weekend, 16-year-old Janae Edmondson's life was upended by horrific traffic violence. She said, I remain committed to major investments in street and pedestrian infrastructure to keep our city safe. This is amazing. So she thinks that the reason that this young girl had her legs removed and was almost killed by this guy that should have been in prison, at the very least jail, is because we didn't have the right infrastructure for people to cross the street in her city. That's what we get from Tashara Jones, our mayor. That, you know, just when you thought, and this is what I said in the tweet that I just sent out, I would say unbelievable because that's generally the reaction I would have that's that insulting and insipid from this mayor. But it really is kind of par for the course. That's her pattern. That, that's, and she doesn't address the fact that her circuit attorney that she backs at every turn and cries racism at every turn, right? Her circuit attorney didn't do her job here and is responsible, at least in part, for this young girl's accident, as is the mayor and her administration who have refused at every turn, including I think this one, to pay attention to violent criminals in their city. She thinks we need new crossways or something like that, right? Or let's put more money in Metrolink or ride some buses around so people can get to the dome safer. That's what she wants? Really. Un- unbelievable. Really. That, that, that's where we get. This city is... And you know, here's the other thing that people need to know. It's not safe to come downtown St. Louis. Okay, it's just not. For those of you in the suburbs who have said that, don't come to downtown St. Louis. It's not safe. This is another good example of it. Oh, you might think you're going to be safe going to a soccer game or a baseball game, but drive into work every day with me and pass these same streets in the middle of the day with the open-air drug market between where I sit in City Hall, where I see people pulling guns out of backpacks by Peabody when I drive through there. Probably shouldn't drive through Peabody, right? It's not safe. 
So they, they're going to have to convince people. And it's sad because there's so many great things happening, like the soccer stadium, like the soccer team. we got baseball coming back. But you got to weigh these risks. Do you want your life? You can watch things on TV or listen on the radio, right? That's where we are in St. Louis. Congratulations to Shara Jones. And by the way, I, I, I laid into Lida Cruz and the former mayor, who should be even more embarrassed because she should have been on the side of law enforcement. Her own husband was murdered two decades ago, and Lida Cruz was the biggest wimp you could ever imagine on the issue of crime. She had no guts whatsoever. I mean, I don't know what her legacy is, but it is embarrassing. And this one's even worse. That's what you got. And this poor girl has no legs, and she's got to go back home to visit her friends when she was just coming here on a volleyball tournament to play volleyball. And she goes back almost killed and will never have legs the rest of her life. She'll have prosthetics. Okay. Sorry about that. Jay Peter Zane back with us, editor at Real Clear Investigations. He wrote a great piece on um, this issue of journalism objectivity that kind of got in the news, and I've covered this a little bit. Peter, how are you? Sorry about the rant here. We had quite an incident over the weekend in St. Louis, though. Oh, it sounds horrific. I'm so sorry. And, you know, a, a young girl is in my thoughts. Well, and I, I guess I should, have, um, I should have gone into a little bit more detail here. The, the guy that hit this young girl, um, Daniel Riley is his name. He's 21 years old. He was violating the terms of his GPS release, and he did it about 50 times, okay? So he kept violating, he kept violating. He was in jail originally for armed robbery, and then he violated it. He wasn't supposed to be out Saturday night. No one was monitoring him. Our circuit attorney was supposed to, you know, take care of things like this and didn't. And then the kid goes out on a joyride, hits the gas, goes 30 miles over the speed limit, flips his car, takes his family out, and this young girl has no legs. So that's... That's the story right now. She's lucky, I guess, she's alive at this point, if you can consider it. Uh, right. So it's been the story. Look, you, you wrote about something that is near and dear to my heart as someone who graduated in 1986 from the University of Missouri Journalism School, was a news director. My, um, you know, my background is in, in journalism, if you will. And then you had this report that came out from a couple of supposed leading journalists that teach at Arizona State, former Washington Post executive editor Leonard Downey Jr. and CBS News President Andrew Hayward, that... Uh, um, really, I think, paints a more troubling picture of where journalism might be heading, Peter. But I want you to explain what that was all about. Well, what's troubling about it is they did a report, which they called Beyond Objectivity. And they interviewed, uh, they said, more than 75 people. So, And these are the editor of ProPublica, the editor of the New York Times, the editor of the Washington Post. So their report is not simply showing a direction that journalism should go in. It's really reflecting what the leaders of liberal mainstream outlets already believe. And that is that the lack of trust that you see in journalism, I don't know if you saw the recent Knight Ritter report that said 50% of Americans, roughly, it's not just that they don't trust what they read in the media, they think they're being deceived. I mean, this is just... Shocking. And you know what? Here's the thing, though. The reason that they think they're being deceived is because they're being deceived. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this this almost gets back, I was going to say, to this story that you were talking about, where they're – how does somebody – let a person who has 50 violations keep going back on the street. And it's the power of people, of the mind, to convince themselves of things that are completely 
detached from reality. And one of the signs of the left is that they have an ideology, and an ideology is in a lot of ways uh, not vulnerable to reality. They have an idea of how the world should be, and they make no accommodation to reality. And so what these journalists who recognize that our profession is losing trust, uh, and instead of saying, geez, we've lost trust as we've become more activist, more result-oriented, lying in our news coverage in order to achieve certain ends, which is often the election of Democrats, instead of identifying that as the problem, they say, we've been too fair. Yeah. We, we play it down the middle too much. It, I mean, it, you, you wrote this. I thought this was great because you said this this report beyond objectiv- objectivity is not a fearless, open ended inquiry to major problems ailing the news industry. Instead, it's an apology for the agenda driven, overly partisan reporting that has erupted in recent years. It fails to address any of the major controversies that have rocked journalism. And let me list some of them because, you know, them. let's talk about Brett Kavanaugh and all that nonsense. Covington Catholic. That that still hasn't been corrected. The, the narrative on that. I can use Mike Brown. Hands up. Don't shoot that nonsense from St. Louis, where I bet a lot of these progressive journalists at the New York Times and elsewhere haven't even read the Obama Department Justice Department report on what really happened that day in Ferguson, Missouri. Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, Peter, you and I weren't surprised that Kyle Rittenhouse was not found guilty by that jury in Kenosha because we had paid attention and we saw the videos and we knew all the stuff that the rest of the legacy media wasn't sharing with people until they were forced to share it at the trial. And the list goes on and on and on. Let's use AP Black History as a recent example right here. Ron DeSantis doesn't want black history being told in schools. It's a bunch of complete manufactured BS and they never want to tell the truth. I totally agree. I think the DeSantis thing is a perfect example. You, you can have an argument. Let's, let's discuss what should be in an AP right. African-American history class, okay? But don't say, well, they won't teach slavery. I mean, one of the most insidious things they do with another DeSantis uh, bill was the uh, where they say the don't so-called say don't say gay. Yeah, right. well, and yeah. it's almost become the way we have to refer to it, too. And that's just false. It's just perpetuating a lot. And it's happening here. And this is how it gets perpetuated. You know this, Peter. So you have that in Florida. It gets reported. Now we have similar things that are being introduced in our state house in Jeff City, right? So when the local newspaper, the local communist newspaper does their reporting, they always have to, and the TV stations do it too because they're lazy, they have to say the so-called don't say gay bill, even though that's been debunked numerous times. It doesn't matter. It's part of their lexicon now, right? Right. Exactly. So just I'm going to say one quick thing, so I don't have a lot of time. Just so your, your listeners know, objectivity is simply a way of us saying, I have biases, I have assumptions about the way the world works. And those are really important. Your biases, assumptions, your values come from your life experience. But as educated, thoughtful people, you need to make sure that you don't become a prisoner of those. So you take a step back. And as a journalist, that is essential that you do that because you want to report as fairly as you can. When people say objectivity, absolute objectivity is impossible. It is. We can never escape our assumptions and whatever. But to to then say, therefore, I shouldn't try, then leads you to the only other thing, which is objectivity. Or as Donald Kagan, a great historian of ancient Greece, said, the, the, the Greeks arose, they had reason based on objectivity, and that replaced will and power. You, you either have one or the other system. And what the left has is a system of will and power, which is the opposite of reason and the way that you use reason, which is 
objectivity. So one of, what, one of the instincts it? that I've always had that, that I think is a part or maybe one of the foundations of journalism is I'm a very skeptical person. So you tell me something, you show me something, I'm going to say, okay, wait a second. I don't know if that's the way that it really happened. I'll offer a recent example from the Oscars and the Will Smith slap from last year because I, I was not convinced. I became convinced very quickly, but my initial take of that is, wait a second, this seems pretty suspect. I'm not so sure they're not pulling one over on us. Now, I think in the aftermath of that, the it became very clear that that's not what happened. However, I think that the instinct should always be to operate from that perspective. And the other example that I would use in that where it may have benefited journalists is the uh, the BYU-Duke volleyball story from last year. Were you familiar with that, I, Peter? I live in North Carolina. Yeah, you yeah. know. You yeah. know. You know what, what happens. So in Dawn Staley... Yeah, well, the Duke lacrosse case is a, a yeah is a little bit further example, but with both of those, you had things that were alleged to have happened that, how do I put this, didn't flip and happen, and it was reported ad nauseum, and it gets tweeted by LeBron James, and then people like Dawn Staley there, I think she's in South Carolina, not North Carolina, refused to play the basketball team from Utah because they're allegedly white supremacists on an incident that happened at a volleyball game between Duke and BYU where the Duke African-American server was called the N-word every time. The only problem with that is there is little, well, no, there's, there's zero evidence. In fact, I'll go further. There is a lot of evidence that it never happened. But the reporting, because it didn't fit the narrative, was never corrected. Never, ever. Until this day, people believe that. So so the one thing also I would take a step back and say to yourself, let's say you're a journalist, you went to these fancy schools where all these people went to, and somebody's telling you there was a volleyball game at a modern university, and some kid was screaming the N-word dozens of times. Is it possible that nobody said a word to that kid. No, it's not. not. It, 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 it defies it logic, right? Right. Exactly. But so but how do you, so that's what's even it. that's what's even more frustrating because you you summed it very it's so easy and you you can ask yourself some pretty simple questions but it doesn't matter because they don't do it. And then in, even when they find out that the narrative is completely different. One of my favorite stories from a few years ago were uh, and we had a situation like this that happened in St. Louis that never got followed up on. But there were these ropes that were found in a tree. A noose was found in a tree in Oakland in a park, Peter. Do you remember this? It was outrageous. Yes, it looked like white supremacy. The only small problem with that story was it was a black dude who put him up there for exercise. And they had been up there for a long time. But even when presented with the facts, the mainstream legacy media and the mayor of Oakland said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's still outrageous. Doesn't matter. Nothing changes. That's the world that we live in with journalism right now. It's, and, and the other point that I made in my piece is that the, the attack on objectivity in journalism is related to a much more profound attack on all of the Western com- concepts that uh, stems from uh, academia. So it's not just that journalists are just followers. They're not, we're not intellectuals. We don't come up with this stuff. We are taking our leads from much broader forces so that, for instance, the idea that math is white supremacist. This is all part of the same thing of yeah. objectivity, that, that everything we believe by sex and gender are social constructs. So that's when you, when you hear people letting a guy who has 50 violations get back out on the street. What you see is they are ideologues who have embraced ideas that are in total conflict with reality, and they don't care. Now, why that is, it's hard for me to understand. 
how you can be so detached from. But they're all of a piece because your 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 listeners really got to ask yourself: How can somebody think this is right? And it's only because they're in the grip of an idea. And I'm not going to go that far. But you know, you look at Germany in the 1930s. Those are you know otherwise Germany was a very progressive, wonderful nation, and it got in the grip of bad ideas. The Soviet Union. I mean, this is what happens, and it's a real threat that people have to see the ability of people to believe something that is so contrary. And I can say just sort of as a little, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You can finish your thought. I was just going to say, so you can also see that in guys who have comb-overs. And every guy who has a (laughs) comb-over thinks it looks good. And the whole world knows it doesn't. But you can't convince him that it doesn't. That's you know, and we all in small ways and big yeah. can convince ourselves of things. You know, I, I just always, I feel like I tweeted this over the weekend. I referenced this with uh, Brian Kilmeade about an hour ago. But I'm sure you saw the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory edits. They're going to cut the word fat for inclusion and accessibility. All these things that are happening right. now with the word police out there. We see it every week. And maybe at this point it shouldn't become shocking or stunning. But I really do worry about the future because I'm not given a whole lot of hope in situations like this especially with the word police. And I sit back and I think about this. I'm like, who are these people, uh, Peter, who sit around in rooms? Because I don't ever want to be around them or near them. But there are people that sit around in rooms and they think to themselves that these are good ideas that they're pushing forward, right? They're leftists. And leftists are authoritarians because leftists think they know better. And all of their and that's why they can never also you know how they never give a quarter and they never give a admit they made a mistake because all of their authority is I know better than you do it's like the pope you know the pope used to be the infallibility and so they constantly feel like they should organize society uh, they should organize it in certain ways they can never admit a mistake because then you go geez the emperor has no clothes. Um, and I would say we wrote a piece recently, a real clear investigation, called the Diversity Industrial Complex. And the insight of that piece was DEI is no longer just an idea that we can accept or not accept. This is a bureaucracy. There are tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands probably, who make their living doing this. Oh, there's no doubt. At, mainly at the expense of the taxpayers, by the way, because these are school yeah. districts and governmental entities that are affected. You're absolutely right about that. Look, uh, another example, we can get in, you could talk about all the culture issues, but let's just talk about something that's pretty important that's being ignored right now, and I think we can all relate to what's happening with um, doubts about the vaccine. There should be some pretty thorough journalism that is underway about the way that these things were oversold, no matter where you are. And by the way, I took the vaccine and I was boosted and I believed that they reduced deaths, but they were certainly oversold. And I think natural immunity we're finding more and more now was a big part of this. But I thought about this yesterday, Peter. I went to a park that had a playground and playground equipment with my daughter yesterday because it was President's Day and we had the holiday off. And I couldn't help but thinking to myself, and I've said this before, how flipping dumb we were as a society to even now I would expect government to do stupid things like to try to put caution tape police tape around merry-go-rounds which by the way they did but that we allowed that to happen that we allowed the government to keep us from going to the beach right that we had to wear masks outdoors some of this stuff from the past couple years 
is just infuriating. And to your point about Germany, should be a lesson for the future. But we're not learning it. At least the majority of the society isn't. And the reason is because journalists aren't doing their job. There is no journalism that exists outside of what you guys do at Real Clear or what they're doing on Substack right now. Point to me to another area of journalism that's actually doing good work because I can't find it. I agree with you. I think that, that our profession is essential to being skeptical, like you said, to holding power accountable. And one of the other things you've seen with the left is they were, when they were out of power for years, they were very skeptical of power, very skeptical of the CIA, the FBI. They, they defended Russia at every turn. And look at what's happened in just the last five years when they become ascendant. They defend the FBI despite all of those abuses, defend the CIA. Just eight, eight, ten years ago, they were cheering on Edward Snowden. Now they're just lackeys for power. They've totally lost any skepticism of what the government is doing. And when journalism doesn't hold people accountable, there are very few other forces that can do that, you know? And and I would say with with the COVID is, I think it's very complicated, but you clearly saw in the beginning of COVID a moral panic. And the problem was is that government, on the one hand, is always going to have to overstep sometimes a little bit, but that there were, you didn't have scientists, you didn't have journalists, you didn't have the people pushing back on the natural... Well, I think you did, but you, you know who was pushing back and you know where it was happening? It was on talk shows like this, and the mainstream right. media ignored yeah. it. Peter Zane... Editor at Real Clear Investigations, columnist for Real Clear Politics. Awesome to have you on as usual. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Well, I just come from a visit to Kiev, and I can report Kiev stands strong. Kiev stands proud. It stands tall. And most important, it stands free. Well, that's the president. He was in Kiev. I don't know if he remembers being there, but he said that he remembered. And then there's Vladimir Putin, who gave a blistering speech today. I think it was like two hours or something like that. And he said that he would suspend Moscow's participation in the um, in the START treaty. This is Tony Blinken's response to that earlier today. The announcement is deeply unfortunate and irresponsible. Uh, we'll be watching carefully to see what uh, Russia actually does. We'll, of course, make sure that 
in any event, we are postured appropriately for the security of our own country and, and, and that of our allies. Our expert on this has been Amir Hadzik, who's back with us, retired gunnery sergeant with the U.S. Marine Corps, retired U.S. Marine Corps infantry unit leader, and he's a regional specialist with uh, focus on Eastern European Noses area quite a bit. Uh, Amir, how are you? Welcome back this afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me back, Mark. So just, I don't know where to start. Should we start on the visit to Kiev by the president? And I guess that's immediately followed up some of the things that Putin said today. He's not uh, backing down. He says, we're not fighting the Ukrainian people. The Ukrainian people have become hostages of the Kiev regime and its Western masters, which have effectively occupied the country. Reaction to that? Well, my reaction to his, uh, again, once rescheduled, delayed, uh, speech, which was uh, curiously um, staged to happen when it did in order to upstage our president. And it really contains nothing of, of new. It's uh, just regurgitation of the same old talking points that they've had for a year now. Uh, and, uh, you know, the fact that they have, quote unquote, suspended uh, their participation in START treaty just kind of shows us that they're out of options because this treaty has been in one form or another uh, of suspension since uh, COVID-19, and it pretty much just contains that we get to inspect each other's uh, nuclear facilities and, you know, moratorium on production of the same. But what does that mean? That, you know, if they're going to produce more nuclear weapons, we'll be able to blow up our entire planet 10 times over versus five times over? I'm not sure that's going to make a whole lot of difference. All it shows is that Russians are simply out of options. So here we are. I mean, it is really here. You and I have been talking about this um, for almost a year now because it's Friday, where is the year anniversary of the invasion. And I think I remember even a couple of months in, Amir, I said that, you know, it looked like it was going to be a long slog. For those of us who are following from afar, this thing is still very, very confusing. And I don't know that we have a good grasp on what the current situation is with the state of what's happening on the ground in the warfare. I mean, is there a way to gauge that? So currently, uh, the, the state of the war is, is pretty much, uh, I would say, stalemate because uh, Russians are fighting for every square foot at a very heavy toll in, in personnel and equipment. We've, we've just uh, seen what, what's happened around the small city of Bakhmut, where Russians are throwing virtually everything at it for some type of a symbolic victory because they've already invested so much. And it's like a, it's like a sunk cost uh, theory. Um, and and uh, Ukrainians are not giving up, but it seems like Ukrainians are probably going to have to give up that city in order to trade space for time. Uh, you know, Ukraine. You know, I was I was wrong last year when I predicted that Ukrainians uh, could be done by the end of the year. However, uh, what I didn't take into consideration, I suppose I was looking at it through rosy glasses, that Western allies are going to provide Ukraine with all of the firepower they need in a timely manner. That did not happen. Ukrainians have started running a little low on ammo, just as apparently Russians are. And, you know, on, on, on uh, Putin's uh, commentary of hostages, well, I don't know which Ukrainian people are how are Ukrainian people hostages when they're the ones getting murdered and killed with numerous rocket attacks, missile attacks uh, by, by uh, Russian military in, in, in civilian cities. So, you know, Russians are just uh, left uh, with, with a continuation of uh, terrorism uh, in order to uh, make uh, Ukrainians submit uh, to, to, to Russian willpower, but I think Ukrainians are fighting hard, they're fighting courageously, and I don't think it's going to happen. So my new prediction is this is going to go on for uh, 
for another couple of years. It seems that way. Now now it seems to make sense that it's going to last. Now we also have, did I hear in that speech from Putin, because, and, and this is where I don't know how this administration can't get more forceful on this topic, but China is making it even more clear whose side they're on in this. So what do you do with that diplomatically working forward? Because it's it's getting more complicated from that standpoint, isn't it, from the diplomatic standpoint? Certainly. It's going to take uh, utilization of all of our elements and instruments of national power, whether it's diplomatic, you know, military, informational, economic. Uh, we're going to have to employ all of our instruments of power and also keep our allies to go along with us in order to counter this. Certainly what it appears is that it has all the markings of uh, new Cold War and uh but, you know, some people suspect that Russia may side with China, but they have so much of their own history that I don't really think that uh, China and Russia are going to embrace each other, as we may suspect. China also has to contend with the fact that they are dependent on us buying cheap goods from there. And although industrialization is coming back to our country, China is still heavily dependent on not just us, but also European Union, which uh, made its stance pretty clear. And although they may not be contributing monetarily, militarily as much as we are, they are still they are still uh, heavily invested in uh, keeping Russia in Russia, not in Ukraine, Poland, and other nations that uh, Russians have designs against. But if this goes on for another couple of years, which I, I don't know how at this point you can think that it won't, where does that leave Ukraine as, as a nation in the end anyway? Or is that what Putin wants? I think that depends on us. I think at this point. Uh, Maybe because it is crystal clear that Russians will never be able to occupy and annex whole, uh, whole of Ukraine. They will never be able to control that country. I mean, we, the United States, were unable to uh, take control of Iraq and Afghanistan fully, right? And we all know how that ended up happening. But uh, Putin is trying, Putin, with his 140 million people, is trying to control a neighboring country of 40 million people. I mean, they will be uh, stuck in such a uh, Ukrainian mud, if you don't mind me saying that, for for decades is going to bleed Russia dry. So what I think they'll have to do is uh, achieve their strategic objectives of keeping um, Ukraine away from EU and NATO by keeping them a failed state. So they don't need to take hold of Ukraine. All they have to do is uh, sabotage uh, Ukraine economically and diplomatically to the point where it becomes a failed state and cause its population, cause Ukrainian population to seek a better life elsewhere. Um, and that's something that uh, will be strategic failure on our part, and we must do whatever we can not to allow Russians to achieve that. Okay, but objectives. along those lines here, look, I think there, there's some legitimate questions to be asked and hopefully answered about return on investment here. I know these are big, giant geopolitical issues that have um, a lot of consequences, and a little radio guy here in St. Louis does not have the brain capacity to break all of these things down. On the other hand, we got issues here, and here's Ron DeSantis talking about some of this, because the blank check policy doesn't really work for me or for him. Well, they have effectively a blank check policy with no clear strategic objective identified and um, these things can can escalate and I don't think it's in our interest to be getting into proxy war with China getting involved uh, over things like the borderlands or, or over Crimea so I think it would behoove them to identify what is the strategic objective that they're trying to to achieve uh, but just saying it's an open-ended blank check uh, that is not acceptable. Amir, how do you react to those comments because I, I, I tend to agree with Governor DeSantis on that. 
And I do agree with Governor DeSantis uh, on his point of no clear strategic objective being identified. That's something that not just our administration, but uh, NATO alliance needs to clarify, because I, I don't I really don't know what our clear strategic objective is at this point. Is it a uh, regime change in Moscow? Is it, uh, you know, sending Russians back to the 2014 borders or 2008 borders? We just don't know what we're doing. However, this blank check, as, as described, you know, I think that's a little bit of a, a political posturing, because if Ukraine's if Ukraine succeeds in its defense, uh, that's going to make uh, President Biden look really good, despite all of his shortfalls. And, and I think that there is a certain number, small number of Republicans that are posturing by kind of sort of, hey, whatever Biden is doing, we're going to do the opposite. And uh, I'm not sure that that's a clear strategic objective politically for them, because it's causing confusion amongst the electorate. It's causing confusion in the United States. Because I have a number of friends who I respect tremendously who are saying, hey, that's none of our business what happens over there in Ukraine and in Russia. And, and, and I, uh, <laughs> I, well, I disagree know. with you, that. You disagree, but that, that's the part that gets tricky because those things need to be communicated. And I, I think we can agree on that. The messaging. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, exactly. Amir, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, we have our new St. Louis Battlehawks correspondent, Chris Smith, who's all Love pumped it. up. We're 1-0 here in St. Louis. We're going to run down the victory. Coming up next, plus an audio cut of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an audio cut of the day forthcoming before we wrap up the show. But, but, there's one more topic. Third and seven. McCarron has a receiver. Caught. Touchdown, St. Louis. And a flag on the play. Kaka, that's what I say, right? The Battlehawks with a victory <laughs> under their belt. Sue Thomas and our Battlehawks correspondent is the one the only, my friend Chris Smith, who's so geeked up for this, he just doesn't understand. He's only going to have like three minutes instead of 15. He's been preparing for this segment all day. How are you? Are you okay? I know you can't contain your Mark, excitement. I, I'm doing great, brother. And all the time, every time I, before I go in the air, you got to make me laugh. So I look like an amateur and idiot. I appreciate it, brother. Well, truth be told, Chris is very passionate about the uh, Battle Hawks. And you were, when the Battle Hawks were around a couple of years ago before COVID ruined everything, yeah. I know that you were on board. And look, I walked, I told the story earlier, I walked into the QT yesterday to get uh, some gas and lottery tickets and something for my daughter. And there was the uh, clerk at the QT in Fenton and another guy just raving about this game and how exciting it was. So let's get right to it. This was a game they opened on the road. McCarron's the quarterback. He was the Alabama kid. They got um, someone on the coaching staff who I think has a son that did pretty well in this game. Lay it out for us. What happened? All right. Well, A.J. McCarron to Austin Pro will be a tandem. We will hear about yeah. all along the XFL. Yeah, and that's uh, true, we, though. Ricky Prohl is a coach, right, on the team? Yeah, yes, he is. He's a team. On, he's a coach on our team. Yeah, he's a wide receivers coach. And then Anthony Beck, the head coach, is actually an ex-Rams tight end, too, back in 2008. Well-known tidbit. So what, what happened? Explain what happened at the end here, because I'm a little lost on, on the rules. But with about a minute 20, a minute 30 left, we were down like 15 to 3, right, Chris? But the rules in the XFL, which are pretty unique and creative, allowed for a late-minute comeback. Correct, they did. So, A.J. McCarron actually went out of his mind at the end of the game. In the last minute 30, I mean, it was 15 points. It was crazy. And it's because, I mean, you can go for three. I mean, they, well, explain that, though, because that's where I'm lost. So, what do you mean well, by that? you got to explain it. They've, they've, they've taken the extra point of the game. So, if you go from the five-yard line to the 10-yard line, five-yard line is two points. So, you yards. don't kick an extra point. There's no kicking between goalposts, right? 
Well, there is for field goals. Okay, okay. Well, see, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know this stuff. That's why I'm asking. But if you score yeah, a touchdown, you cannot kick a point after for one point. Is that correct? No, you go, you go for two, you go to go for three. So yeah, in this case, too. yeah, but no, people need to know. But Chris, in this case with the Battle Hawks, they decided to go for three because they needed the three, right? Correct, correct, yes. And uh, I mean, it, that fourth quarter was great. It was really good. Agent McCarron really looked pretty subpar the first half and the third quarter. But you're but, taking me off my questions here. So they get, because I really, honestly, I'm asking serious questions. I don't understand how this happens. They get the three point conversion, right? So then after that, they get the ball back? Yes. Yeah, they have the option to get the, to get the ball back. Correct. So that's more they like do, an onside kick. Get, Yes, it could be it could be an onside kick or it can be a fourth and fifteen. I got so you. So they opted for the fourth and fifteen. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so a that, bad deal. And then they score, and I saw the touchdown that won the game, and that was the play that I um, did. They pick up the flag on that, or what happened there? Yeah, yeah, yes, they did. Yes, they did. It was McCarron to Austin Pole for the game winning touchdown. All right, so correct. we're one and zero. How do we get to the XFL Super Bowl? Tell me how that path is going to happen. They're not home for a couple of weeks, right? Correct. No, we have a game on Thursday night against a Seattle. Sea Dragons, I believe their name is. Some of these names are goofy, but I like okay. that though. I kind of like the fact that they're goofy names and that they're kind of fun. I don't mind yeah. that at all. So Thursday but, uh, night, but, and then they come back home a week from Sunday. Is that the case, or is it a week from Thursday? It's a week from Sunday. So who do we play on Thursday night? You we, said we play the Seattle Sea Dragons. How good are they? First home game. Um, they looked pretty good the other night when I watched them Sunday night. But, I mean, from so, what everybody's told me and what I hear here, this could have easily been, obviously, it looked like this was going to be a loss to open up the season, right? And they come back in miracle fashion. Yes, it did, yeah. Do you think this like team can win the championship? Do you think this team can win the championship? I think some people out there think it can. I think it can. If, if our offense clicks like it did in the fourth quarter, yes. And our defense played actually really well throughout the game. I mean, San Antonio's no slouch of a team, by no means. I mean, Hines Ward's the coach. You know him from the Pittsburgh oh, yeah. Steelers, right? I mean, it, I mean, we've got a good team, and and like I said, Coach Beck, he's got them playing hard, and that's one thing I love about the XFL. These guys want to get back into the NFL. A lot of them have had a taste of it, and you got these young kids who are out of college, want to make money, and they are showcasing their talent right now. So it's it's not million or it's not a whole bunch of players that make millions of dollars that want to go. Oh, I don't want to tackle. I might just take a dive. These kids want to make money and make a name for themselves. So there's a lot of passion in this one. Can you give so me can like you give me much. as we depart here a caca, Chris? Yeah. Caca. Yeah, that's not too bad. I that think was we, pretty we, good. I think that was pretty yeah. good. We have to get one of those on tape. One more. Give one more trap. <clears throat> give me a real good one. Caca. All right, we'll talk Thursday. Playback <laughs> ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. I feel like maybe he choked on something there at the end. Uh, and I'm out of time, so we'll just go with the highlight from the battle flag for the audio cut of the day. I mean, come on. Caca, right? right? Third and seven. McCarron has a receiver. Caught. Touchdown, St. Louis, and a flag on the play. No flag. They picked it up. I think I have to talk Chris through some of the pacing here. I'm really anticipating he thought we were going to have 15 minutes to break down every play of the game, and that's not going to happen. But he's excited about it. Yes, St. Louis is. is excited about it. Damn it, I'm excited about it now. Kaka, we'll talk tomorrow. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.